Hear the word from Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Ryan Silhavy. Uh, And it's my honor and my joy to serve as one of the pastoral apprentices here at Evanston Bible Fellowship. Basically, that's a fancy way for me of saying uh, that that I'm learning to become a pastor by engaging in ministry in this local church. Uh, And I'm very thankful to to be up here. And I'm very excited for this series as our pastor, our lead pastor, Jason Lancaster, is on sabbatical. You'll be hearing from 10 different preachers on each of the 10 different commandments, uh, and I'm believing big things. I I believe that if you stay consistent, if you keep coming to church, if you keep thinking through these things and really digesting and uh, digesting them in your ethos communities, that God can bring real breakthrough to your spiritual life. As you understand that the Ten Commandments, uh, uh, like Andy said last week, aren't just boxes to check off, um, but they're indicative of a relationship, a vertical relationship with God the Father and a horizontal relationship with our fellow man and woman here. Um, So this morning, my sermon will be shaped by the two sermons that went before me in this series. I'll be drawing on the excellent overview uh, that Dr. Ben Wilson gave us two weeks ago uh, and the powerful sermon that soon-to-be Dr. Andy Hudson uh, brought us last week on the first commandment. Uh, that's the way it goes for, for all the Ten Commandments. Each sermon will continue to build on those that go before. And if we look back for a second just to last week, Andy did a great job preaching that first commandment, this first word from God. And, and he was absolutely right. The first commandment, have no other gods before me, 
is a summary commandment. If we live that commandment in its truest form, obedience to commandments 2 through 10 will just naturally follow out of that relationship with this God who we are not to have other gods before. This morning we turn to the second word from God, to the subject of idolatry. Last week from Andy we heard who it is that we worship, this God that brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's who we worship. And this morning we're going to start um, a little mini-series on commandments 2, 3, and 4, which is how we worship this God who revealed himself in the first commandment. So last week was who we worship. This week begins how we worship that God. Uh, and let's just think for a moment, um, like, like Ben Wilson said two weeks ago, what you can't miss is that Exodus 20 comes right after Exodus 1 through 19, right? So we have to remember that context, that God set his people free from slavery. He set them free from the house of slavery. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. Um, but just because the Israelites were set physically free does not mean that they were actually living free. Just because God set them free physically from slavery, from physical slavery, doesn't mean that they were set free from spiritual slavery, from the idols that enslaved them. So here we turn to this subject of idolatry, and the Ten Commandments come at a time where God's instructing his people that they not only need to live physically free as God set them free from Egypt, but spiritually free, worshiping God alone above all other gods. Uh, so this morning, our sermon text, as, as Isabel just read, uh, comes from Exodus chapter 20. If you want to turn there, uh, we'll start in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. Uh, before I read the text, though, let me, let me just pray for all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for all these people. I pray that you would use me and use my words um, and transform them uh, into words from you. God, may I speak with authority, um, with truth from your word. And I pray that, that whatever barriers have been set up um, for your people here this morning, whatever barriers are in the way of hearing from you, I pray that you would just take those down, God, and enable everyone in here to hear powerfully from your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 20, starting in verse 4. It says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This morning, in, in the time remaining, I'd like to speak to you from the subject heading, Have No Idols. Have No Idols. And, and here's where I'm going. Here's this big overarching idea. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to write this down. 
Uh, I'll keep coming back to this. Uh, Here's where I'm going. Only God can hold the weight of our worship. Only God himself can hold the weight of our worship. Our worship is heavy, and only God himself can hold the weight of our worship. This morning, we're going to walk through four questions, uh, the answers to four questions to go further into this topic of idolatry and to recognize that only God can hold the weight of our worship. Five questions to recognize only God can hold the weight of our worship. So let's turn to this first question. And the first question is this, what is an idol? What is an idol? What do we mean when we say that word? And in order to answer this question, we have to look a little closer at our sermon text this morning. Um, Take a look at at verse 4. God says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the, the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So right off the bat, we see clearly that idols are created things. Idols are created things that are meant in some way to try and represent God, um, but because they were created by God, they can't represent God in his truest form. We shall not make for ourselves a carved image or anything that represents God. Uh, And and really, the definition of idolatry is bound up in the definition of worship. Uh, In verse 5, it says, You shall not bow down to them, these idols, or serve these idols. And bowing down and serving are very worshipful actions. So in order to get at what idolatry is, first we have to settle what worship is. Uh, and and there's, there's several, there's, there's uh, many definitions of worship out there, but I'd like to read one to you. Harold Best, in his book, Unceasing Worship, states that worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen or choosing God. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen or choosing God. I know that's a little long, but but notice from that definition that worship is a continuous action. Uh, We often think of worship as as what happens in this space in church on Sunday mornings. We, We call this a worship service. Um, uh, But it's not as if our worship begins when we walk through these doors and ends as soon as I finish the benediction, but rather we are continuously and constantly worshiping. The question is not, am I worshiping, but what or who am I worshiping in this moment? We are always worshiping. Humans were created by God to worship. So, so every type of person on this earth is worshiping. The question is not whether they're worshiping, but what or who they're worshiping. What or who they're pouring all that they are and all that they do and all that they can ever become. What the direction of that worship is. 
Uh, in this sense, Bob Dylan is exactly right in his song, Gotta Serve Somebody, right? He, he says, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Worship is constantly, continuously happening. So, so notice that the purpose of, of this gathering, of our worship service, uh, when we gather as believers in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, we're not starting to worship after going Monday through Saturday without worshiping. Rather, during church, we reorient and we re-aim our worship back at its one true source. Our triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who revealed himself in this Bible and in the first commandment that Andy preached last week, that the God that brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, it's this God that we need to worship above all others. The purpose of Sunday worship is not to start our worship not to restart our worship, but to re-aim our worship that has been happening continuously back at its one true source. So, so if we see that we're constantly worshiping and that idols are, are the wrong form of worship, th- then we can really get at this definition of idolatry. I, and may I submit to you, one, one pastor puts it, th- puts it this way, and I really like what he says. He says that idols are good things that become God things, and that's a bad thing. Idols are good things that become God things, and that's a bad thing. So so if idols are things that were created by God, remember back in Genesis 1, God, God saw the things that he created, and he said, it is what? It's good. He saw that the things that he created were good. And we can get into a larger argument about whether when sin entered the world, that good status was changed or altered in some form. But may I submit to you that God's creation in this present day is still good. And there's nothing wrong with appreciating and viewing the beauty of what God has created. It's not as if all art and all artistry is idolatry. The things that God created are good things but they're very bad gods. What God created are good things that make very, very terrible gods. Idols are good things that become God things, and that's a very bad thing. And to illustrate this point, I want to jump a little further in the book of Exodus to Exodus chapter 32. Uh, Many of you may know of this passage, flip to Exodus 32. And let me just do a quick uh, fast forward of these 12 chapters. So Moses is up on Mount Sinai, right? He's hearing from God. He's receiving the law, the Mosaic law from God. And the people are, are down on the ground, not on Mount Sinai. They, they don't see Moses and they're not in this conversation between Moses and God. Uh, So with that in mind, let's jump in and read, starting in chapter 32, verse 1. 
When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, before the golden calf. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, when Christians read this text, when they read the golden calf account, I believe that we can make as Christians, as well-meaning Christians, mind you, we can make two mistakes when we read this passage. Uh, The first mistake is we can say, foolish Israelites, silly Israelites, You just heard from God. You just saw what God did in your life. Why did you go and and make a golden calf and and construct an altar and put offerings before this golden calf? Why would you do that, Israelites? When really, as Christians, we forget that, that we can go home from Sunday worship and start worshiping our idols like that. It doesn't take 40 days, like like Moses was up on Mount Sinai, for us to turn to idolatry. We can turn to idolatry much quicker than in 40 days, in 40 minutes, in 40 seconds. Uh, if, If you're like me, idolatry can happen very quickly, and you can end up in this place where you ask God, like, where am I? How did I get here? It's idolatry. It's, it's worshiping the wrong things instead of the one true source of our worship, who is God. Uh, So that's the first mistake that that Christians can make. We can say, silly Israelites. And the the second mistake uh, is that we can look around our houses and our apartments and and our our cars and everything, and we we can say, well, well, I don't have any golden calves around. I I, I didn't build any altars to, to a golden calf this morning, so I'm good. I'm all set. I don't commit idolatry. There's no golden calf in my life. But, but, but that really is not true. That's not the heart of idolatry. Um, as Ben Wilson said two weeks ago, uh, that this old covenant law becomes refracted through the prism who is Jesus Christ into the new covenant. So when we look at idolatry in the old covenant, uh, and when we look at the laws in the old covenant, they become refracted into different ways in the new covenant as we look at how we are to worship God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And in the new covenant, the problem isn't so much the idol. The problem isn't so much the physical thing, but what's going on in your heart. It's not as if the physical thing is bad. Remember I said that God created and he created good things that we can appreciate and enjoy the problem becomes when we worship those things and worship takes place in our hearts. 
That's why Jesus, when he was talking about the, the, the adultery commandment, he says that any person who has committed lust in their hearts is already guilty of adultery. They're already guilty of idolatry. It happened inside their hearts. So let's, let's remember that when we read this text, it's not as if the Israelites are any different from us. We all build heart altars to our idols and this can happen on a daily on a weekly basis even though those altars aren't physical this idolatry can still happen and we see this take place not only in the old testament but also in the new testament so if you can turn real quick to the book of romans chapter one i'll read this and then i and then i gotta move on but romans chapter one starting in verse uh, 22. Romans 1, starting in verse 22. It says, Claiming to be wise, they, representing unbelievers, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, idols, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature, the idol, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So not only is idolatry taking place in the old covenant, it's also taking place in a very real sense in the new covenant and in our lives. So so in answering the question, what is an idol? An idol is a good thing that becomes a God thing, and that's a bad thing. Idols are good things that become God things, and that's a bad thing. So second, our second question this morning is, what are examples of idolatry today? What are examples of idols today? If idols were golden calves 3,000 however many years ago, what are examples of idols today? And, And to take a look at that, we have to think back to that passage in Exodus 32. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Um, But we have to think about this. So... You've got to ask yourself, why did the Israelites forget about God and start to worship this golden calf? And and the answer is long and it's complicated, but remember that the Israelites were in slavery. They were in Egypt under the tyranny of the Egyptian people. They were enslaved. And then God promised that he would set them free and sent Moses to set them free from their physical slavery. And and God followed through on that. He set them free, and he set them free into the marvelous land of the desert. God set them free into the desert, and, and instantly, as soon as they get out, they're like, we had stability back there in Egypt. We, we had homes. We had possessions. And now we're, we're out here in the desert. God, what are you doing? And they turn to Moses and they're like, Moses, why did you set us free? We want to be back in the land of Egypt because we're in the desert. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of fear. They don't know that God will provide for them. And when Moses ascends to Mount Sinai, he's gone for so long 
that they start to fear. They don't know. They say, I don't know what has become of this man, Moses. They fear that God will provide for them. So to try and get out of that, they sacrifice to an idol. They doubt and they fear. They doubt God's provision for them. And notice what happens. They, they build this idol, this golden calf, and what do they build it out of? The gold that God gave them. The Bible says in the book of James that every good gift is from above. The Israelites weren't rich people. They didn't have a lot of gold. So Aaron says, take off the gold that's, that's in your earrings and let's get it together from all of the people and then construct this idol, this golden calf. Notice that idols happen when we use good gifts in bad ways. The gold was a good thing, and in order to try and get out of their circumstance, they, they made it into a God thing and started sacrificing to it. So my question to you is this. If, if the idolatry of Exodus 32 is wrapped up in fear, what do you fear most? What do you fear most? What are you doubting about God's providence for your life? Because odds are, if you invest so much of your time and energy, if you pour out all that you are, all that you do, and all that you can ever become in light of what you fear, you'll turn that fear into an idol. So that's one aspect of idolatry today. It's, it's bound up in fear. And, and if we turn now to the New Testament, back to the New Testament, to so the book of First John, um, close to the end of the Bible, um, right near Revelation, right before that. If you, we turn to the book of 1 John chapter 2, we'll see a passage that I think sums up a lot of idolatry. So there's that aspect that's based on fear, uh, but in 1 John 2, I believe we'll see the idolatry of our hearts. So 1 John 2, starting in verse 15. 1 John 2, 15. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Take a look in, in verse 16 at, at the three categories, which I believe sum up a lot of our idols. For all that is in the world, John sums up all sin, all idolatry in these three categories, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So let's walk through these three categories real briefly. The desires of the flesh. These are things that are designed to make us feel good. The desires of the flesh is all about feeling physically good. Some translations translate this, the lust of the flesh. And whenever we see the word lust, we instantly think uh, of sexual immorality. And that's true. Sexual immorality is designed to get us to feel good. All idols, all sin 
promises this, this sense of feeling good, of feeling pleasure, but that pleasure is so fleeting and it vanishes so quickly. The desires of the flesh. So, so what is it that you want to feel? What is it that you want to feel? Because those things that you want to feel, to feel good in your body, are likely idols. The desires of the flesh. Second, the desires of the eyes. This is, I see it and I want it. I see it and I want it. So what do you want? These are material possessions. And notice, we can spend hours and weeks and days, I can do this too, spend hours, weeks, and days perusing the internet for all these things that we can't afford and that we don't really need. Nicer houses or or cars that are expensive. This last week, I was looking up uh, a Range Rover on the internet, I swear. I was like, these cars look so good. I wonder how much they cost. The base model's $83,000. That's like with nothing. That's like four doors and a gas pedal. That's all that gets you. And my salary is, let's say, substantially less than $83,000 a year. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was pointless, but, but I spent hours looking at this car that I wanted. I saw it and I wanted it. And that can turn into idolatry. Things that we want can become our idols, just like that Range Rover for me. Oh, man. Uh, third... Third, the pride of life. So we've had the desires of the flesh. I, I, I want to feel the desires of the eyes. I see it and I want it. And the pride of life, I want to be. I want to be loved. I want to be admired. I want to be adored. I want to be worshipped, ultimately. Who do you want to be apart from who God has revealed for you to be. Who do you want to be? Because we, we're right close to Northwestern University, and students that come to Northwestern University, if I can just talk to my friends who are students, uh, we come out of this land of being promised that we'll do all these amazing things and we'll become these amazing people and we'll change the world and we'll do this, that, and the other thing. And these are good aspirations and I want to encourage you to keep pursuing excellence, godly excellence in your work, in your studies, as long as you don't take the credit for it. The pride of life is all about who you want to be and as Christians, as people in Evanston, as people who are doing well and doing good things, we can so often take the glory for ourselves. So, so which one sticks out to you? I, I can't go and list all of the idols. I don't have time to do that. I'll run out of time. Uh, if, if I listed all of the idols in the, the 21st century, I'd be here until Easter, um, which is a few weeks away. Uh, but, but these categories, I think, are revealing the areas in our hearts which engage in idolatry. So which area sticks out to you? One pastor uh, put it this way in, in summing up this passage. It's the desires of the flesh. It's the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. It's sex, salary, status, passion, possession, position. Which of these areas sticks out to you? Where are your idols today? So let's turn to our, our third question 
this morning, and that's what is the result of idolatry? What is the result of idolatry? And to answer that, we have to look back at the second commandment in Exodus 20. We've got to look back in Exodus 20, starting in verse 5 this time, starting in verse 5. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. That sounds really harsh at the end of verse 5. God's a jealous God, and he says he will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. And let me tell you, idolatry has consequences. Our idols have consequences. And, And this passage, this verse, is a warning primarily to parents. This is a warning primarily to parents. God says he's visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. And parents and aspiring parents and spiritual parents, even if you don't have children, if you're invested in the life of this church, you're a spiritual parent to people of the younger generation like me. Know that your idolatry has consequences. And that if we worship idols instead of our God, that that will result in consequences to the third and the fourth generation. Idolatry has consequences. But know that the blessing on on the second half of that verse, in verse 6, far outweighs the curse in verse 5. God says he'll visit the iniquity to the third and the fourth generation For those who hate him, but in verse 6, showing steadfast love to not just the third and fourth generation, but to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the blessing far outweighs the curse. And when we look at what the result of idolatry is, I want to say one thing, and that's this. If you idolize, you will demonize. If you idolize, you will demonize. Let me give you an example. If idols are good things that, that make really terrible gods, um, let, let's just take an example. If, if you are married and you worship your spouse, if you expect your spouse to be God, to be perfect, to be all-knowing, to be all-loving, to be always there for you in every sense of the word, if you put your spouse on the throne, ultimately, you'll demonize your spouse. You'll hate them. If you expect your spouse or your future spouse, I know today's Valentine's Day. I know a lot of people are thinking of their future spouse, right? Uh, these can turn into idols too, but, but I, I, I won't go too far into that. If you idolize your spouse, you will demonize them. You'll hate them because it's unfair to that person for you to worship them. It's unfair for your husband or your wife to worship them because only God can be God. Only God can be all-knowing. Only God can be all-loving, all-sovereign, all-good, all-pure, 
And we can't expect our, our husbands and our wives and our future husbands and our future wives to be God. It's not fair. Only God can hold the weight of our worship. If we put anything else on that throne, that idol will enslave us spiritually and will also demonize that thing or that person in the end. This is true for every relationship, every idol. Uh, If we worship our children, if we put our children on the throne and we pour out all that we are, all that we do, and all that we can ever become to serve our children, I know children are good things, and blessed is the man and woman whose quiver is full of them, right? That's true. Children are good things, but they're really bad gods. If we worship our children, we'll ultimately hate our children because only, only God can live up to the expectations that he set out in his word perfectly. Idols are good things that become God things, and that's a bad thing. If you idolize, whatever you idolize, ultimately you will demonize that person, that thing, that relationship, and this is not only true for people, this is true for, for even our careers. If we worship our job, if we pour out all that we are and all that we do and all that we can ever become to our job, we'll hate our job. We'll demonize it. We'll hate going to work. Because work is a good thing that God created, but it's a really bad God. And if we worship work, we'll hate work. If we worship our spouse, we'll hate our spouse. If, if we worship the gods of of, um, of, of self-love and self, this raising up of self, if, if, if we're bound up in the pride of life, if we want to be worshipped and, and we look for that in all the wrong places in social media and in this and that and the other thing, we'll demonize even ourselves. If you idolize, you will demonize so fourth, if we look at this fourth question this morning, that's, that's this, our fourth question. What do we do about our idols? If all this is true, what do we do about it? What do we do about our idols? And to answer this, we have to turn back to the New Testament. I'm sorry, we're flipping all over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. So if idols are good things that become God things, if idols are graven images that we are not to worship, what we have to do about our idols is we have to replace the image. If idols are false images of God, in order to fix our problem with idolatry, we have to replace the image. Read Colossians 1.15. It says that he... Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and all these idols are just nothing but false images of God. And when we worship them, we're worshiping the wrong thing. We're worshiping false gods. We have to replace the image of our idol with the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image, the image, the one image of the invisible God. And what we do about our idols is we replace that image. 
And you might say, how, how do I do that? How do I replace the image? Uh, well, in passages like Colossians 3, if you turn the page, uh, and, and Ephesians 4 and elsewhere in the New Testament, um, writers like the Apostle Paul says that we have to put to death what is earthly in you. Fixing idolatry starts with death. We have to, by, as believers in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, smash our idols before they enslave us. Fixing idolatry starts with death. We have to put to death what is earthly in us in order to replace the image and worship Jesus above all other forms of idolatry. Only God in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, only that God can hold the weight of our worship. And we have to kill our idols before they kill us and worship Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. So in closing this morning, I I want to go before the Father in just a time of prayer. uh, And I'd like to start that by asking uh, just some diagnostic questions. Because like I said, I can't list every idol for everybody in this room. I'd be here way too long. Uh, but, but your job now is to go and take this sermon and unpack it in ethos communities and unpack it in your hearts and ask God who or what your idols are. And I want to start that process this morning by asking a series of, of diagnostic questions. Uh, so if, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to bow your heads, if you want to do whatever you want, um, let's just go before the Father. I'll ask some questions, then I'll pray. Who do you worship? What do you worship? Who do you pour out all of who you are and all that you do and all that you can ever become to serve and to support? What's the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about before you drift off to sleep? What is your biggest fear What are you running from? Are you running from God? And what are you running towards apart from God? What are you placing your hope and your trust in? What area of idolatry, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, or the pride of life sticks out to you? as you diagnose your idols. Remember, only God can hold the weight of our worship. God, I thank you for um, this word. I thank you for Jesus, who is the only true image of you, Father. I pray that you'd give us grace and that you'd give us strength to turn our worship, which is continuously happening, to turn our worship away from our idols and towards you. God, give us the strength and the power in the Holy Spirit to kill our idols before they enslave us and turn our worship back to its one true source, who is Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.